Let's ask the Lord to bless our time here this morning. God, I'm just still in awe at what just happened here. God, how you how you work through this group this morning and and brought us into a place where place of worship, a place of, of desire to be at your feet, a place where we desire to encounter you and, and to see you for who you really are, not, not what we think, not what we imagine, but who you really are. God, I pray that you would just continue to, to strip through all the distractions, all the all the tiredness, all the whatever that, uh, that we brought in this morning. And God, that we would truly be living sacrifices to you and that this would be our spiritual act of worship. God, would you speak to us this morning, speak to us through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, servants that uh, that was fantastic I so enjoyed that yeah. I, I just I love to see well I love to see that Alright, so I know there's some visitors with us this morning And so what we do here at Windsor Community Church Is we, we step through scripture verse by verse by verse And we are studying in the book of Genesis And this week finds us in Genesis chapter 30 So I'll give you a chance to find that Give me a chance to find that And Last week, we had started what we called the birthing wars. I didn't say let there be light. <laughs> Thank you, brother. We started these things that we called the birthing wars in the, in the family of Jacob. Started in, in chapter 29. And you know, I, one thing that we always have to remember is we, as we read Genesis, Genesis was written to the Israelites, and they... They've left Egypt, and they're sitting out in the desert trying to figure things out. And, and I can see Moses gathering these guys around, telling them, you, you're from, you're from the tribe of Dan. Let me tell you how, let me tell you about your great, 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 great grandfather. Or you're from the tribe of, and, and trying to give them a sense of belonging, trying to give them a sense of who they are and where they come from, and, and gathering the leaders around the fire and just kind of going through the beginnings of this nation. We say that the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. And so as we step through it, each piece of this is showing us a beginning of something, whether it was the beginning of the patriarchs, the beginning of all of these different, the beginnings of the nation of Israel, the beginnings of God's plan of redemption. And we see it all the way through Genesis. And as we talk as pastors, it's just amazing to us all of the different microcosms of God's redemptive plan that finds itself in Genesis over and over. And so this morning, we'll see that 
again. And, and these Israelites, when they hear this story, they are 400 years removed from what's happened here. In fact, even a little more than that. So we're talking 100. Now, to put this in perspective, America's been around for, you know, uh, the signing of the Declaration of Independence about two and a quarter. We over 225 years ago. Now, what's happened to us as a society in the last 225 years? When it comes to what we remember and what we have forgotten, we think of this on Memorial Day. What it is that we've already attempted to rewrite as history is all of these things in history that we've decided, you know what, that just doesn't sound right. And and we rewrite that. What's going to happen when America is 400 years removed from its roots. I don't really have an answer to that. I'm not sure the Lord will tarry that long. But it just kind of puts in perspective how far removed the Israelites really are from what they're being told right now and where their true beginnings are. They just spent all this time in a pagan worshiping culture And now they're being told, oh, by the way, the God of your father, Abraham, where all of this started, his name is Yahweh. This God, he's the creator of the universe. And there's all those other things that you were told, were they're all wrong. This is God. And they're being reminded of all, and here's where you came from. Here's the root of the tree. And this is the nation. This is how God is going to bless all nations. This is how God is going to redeem mankind. So that's where we are when we jump back into the birthing wars. So where were we last week? Genesis chapter 30. We have Leah, wife number one, the surprise wife, right? If we remember from last week, Jacob wakes up in the morning with this wife he didn't want. Oops. Well, Jacob has four sons. We have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And each of these names have some meaning. Reuben means, see, a son. I have a son. Maybe he'll love me now. Maybe he won't think I was such a surprise. It didn't work. Next, after him, he had Simeon. And Simeon means God hears. God hears. Leah was just a distraught, unloved woman who who just had all of this pain and she was crying out to God. And when Simeon came along, they said, you know what? Simeon, they named Simeon, God's, he's heard my pain. And then along comes Levi. And Levi means attached, right? Now, three sons, my husband's going to attach to me finally. Notice all three of these were attached to her husband. All of these were, my husband's going to something. My husband's going to something. And finally, the fourth one comes along and she says, I'm done with that. The fourth one he names, she names Judah, which means I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. That was what Judah meant. So Rachel, the wanted wife, the second wife, says, you know what? I'm not real happy with this. And where we ended last week was Rachel gave Bilhah, her maidservant, to her husband as a wife. And she had a child, and her child was named Dan. And that's where we ended last week. And Dan meant judgment. God has passed judgment on what I've done, and he must be okay with it. But we learned that just because, just because God doesn't open up the ground and suck you into it like often we deserve, doesn't mean God approves of what you've done. And that's kind of where we ended last week. So there was one more son that Bilhah had. Bilhah had a second son, and his name was Naphtali. 
And Naphtali is an interesting word. She said, you know what? I have wrestled the wrestlings and I have overcame my sister. Now, we need to teach Rachel some word usage here. Overcame, she's still down four to two. I mean, this is like a girls' basketball game, right? They're in it a couple of years. The score's still four to two. If you've seen girls' basketball, you know what I'm talking about. If you... Okay, never mind. We're not going to go into that joke. But sometimes the scores don't go up real high, and they can play for a really long time. The scores would go even less high if I was playing, so it doesn't really matter. Anyway, she's still down four to two, right? One three-pointer, boom, and... and She's back in the game. So, so Leah says, you know what, I'm gonna, that thing worked pretty well, the, the maidservant to the husband. So Leah takes her maidservant, Zilpah, and also gives her to Jacob. And Jacob, then they have another son. And so Zilpah's first son is named Gad. Good fortune. Good fortune. Look, we had another one. Good fortune. She conceives again and has another son. Is this getting to be kind of redundant yet? We still got a number of these to go. Okay, we're only on number eight. Has, has another son, and his name is Asher. And Asher's name means happy. And she says there in verses, uh, somewhere around verse 13, the women have called me happy. And I read that over and I over and over and thought, you know, what she should have named this kid was denial. This is an unloved unwanted, baby-producing woman who now just said, I'm happy. <laughs> happy? And we're going we're gonna to scroll down here a little bit further in a minute. We're going to find out where the real attitudes are, and, and happy isn't really part of it. And so she names this child, oh, the women are calling me happy. And Proverbs tells us not to listen too closely to the good or to the bad. There were now four wives and eight sons. Four wives and eight sons. This is, this is like talk television, just... I don't know this guy's name, but there's a guy who has a television show and they bring these totally dysfunctional couples and they just battle it out on TV. And when you read this, you think, oh, wouldn't that be funny? Jacob's sitting on this side, and these three ladies sitting over on this side. Oh, that would just be four, three, no, it's four of them now. And all the kids sitting in the audience. No, this is dysfunction. And this is where we talked last week about dysfunctional family bingo. Okay? This just has dysfunction written all over it. Now, remember, this is not written to us. It's written for us. Who's it written to? We have the Israelites. 400 years removed, hearing how God established himself in this nation. So any of these, any of these one nations want to stand up and go, yeah, that's me right there. I'm from that. There's not one of these kids who can stop and say, I'm from the, that's my, that's my line right there. It was totally pure, totally clean. This is every single piece of this puzzle doesn't fit together. It all has to be shaved and re- just, it's like taking apart a Rubik's Cube and, and having to piece it back. Right? That's what this is. That's what this is. Well, in wheat harvest, it goes on. During wheat harvest, Reuben, the very first child, is out in the field and he finds a really uh, 
exotic, rare plant. And we're now in verses uh, 14 to 16. So let's go ahead and read that. Chapter 30, verses 14 to 16. In the day of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken my husband? Would you also, would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. Okay. Now, the first time you read that, you just kind of gloss over. You kind of know what's going on. But eventually you have to go look up what a mandrake is. Don't you? Yeah, I, I got to go do that, and, and I won't do that again. Uh-huh. So a mandrake is this funny plant. In fact, it may still be around. They, it has it's big leaves like lettuce, and it has these kind of yellow plum-like fruits on it. And, and some people call it love apples. Uh-huh. Now we're getting a piece to where this all comes together, okay? They call them love apples, and, and then you pull this thing out of the ground, and it has a forked root on it that kind of looks like um, hips and legs. And it's an interesting vegetable, a, a plant, I, I don't know. And, and the Arabs call it the devil's fruit, devil's apples, because it has one purpose and one purpose only. It, it's used to um, enhance... Enjoyment. <clears throat> and so they, this boy, is, this boy who's like seven years old is out looking for mandrakes. Okay, let's, we got to get all this in perspective. Okay, so somebody told him, hey, you, kid, fine. He, they probably sent all the kids looking. Reuben's the only one that found him, right? And so the kid shows up with some mandrakes, and poor Leah, her kids are too young to go out for the mandrake hunt. And so or sorry, Rachel's kids are too young for that. So Leah's kids have some. And, and Rachel, there's almost a pecking order that you see here. Give me. Give me some of those. And Leah, Miss Denial, says, and we're going to have to remember back to last week, says, is it no small thing that you've taken my husband? And remember how this story started. Jacob was working seven years for Rachel, and Leah shows up magically in the morning. Who stole whose husband? So we, we still have a little oddness going on here. Give me the mandrakes. And so Leah says, okay, fine. I'll trade you. I'll buy that man that you aren't letting me see with some of these mandrakes. So he does that. And then in verse 17... And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and had a son, a fifth son. Did she have the mandrakes? Nope, they must not have worked. Because she, she gave them away, and she had a fifth son. God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband, so she called him Issachar. How would you like to have the name Issachar, which means I paid for you? 
That's what it means. Now, I missed this for weeks. I thought Issachar meant I bought you with the mandrakes. That's what I thought it meant. And so I, I had gone on just kind of thinking that the whole time, and, and I was listening to it every now and then. I just put in my iPod and listened through all of Genesis just to try and get context. And I thought, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait, wait. It doesn't say that. It says, it says I bought you. I, I, I'm getting my wages for me giving my servant to you. This is very similar or exactly like what Rachel said when she said, God has judged me and named her kid Dan. God has judged my actions and found them okay. Well, that's what Leah is saying here also, that I, I bought, these are my wages for doing the right thing and giving Bilhah or giving Zilpah to you. Strange. So we have, so this is a piece in this whole picture that we have to remember. None of this is righteous. There's not one person acting righteously and one not. There's not just one that's, you know, real downcast, but doing the right. No one is doing the right thing. Well, except for Jacob, right? I mean, Jacob's just kind of a, a passive fellow that comes in from the field and somebody says, you're going over to her house tonight. Oh, all right, whatever. All right, fine. Uh, here, here's another maidservant. Oh, okay, fine. I mean, he's, he's not righteous either. There's no one in this game that is acting righteously. And we have to have that in our mind because eventually what we're going to do is we're going to form this this little microcosm of God's redemptive plan out of this story. Because we even said it last week, we see that God called Jacob, God builds Jacob up, and then God delivers Jacob to this new land. And, and, And that's exactly what God does in redemption. But in this, if there were any place that we could say, Jacob was righteous already. If there's any place where we could piece any of these people into a place of righteousness where they deserved this deliverance, it would change the story. There's not one person in here who's acting that way. All right, so we move on from from the mandrakes. Good. We made it through that one. It is funny. And Google has everything. And... (laughs) Okay, those of you who are, um, what's the little boy magician movies and books? Harry, yeah. So they have a, a little, little mandrix thing. There's a little clip on Google about a screaming. You would just have to look it up. It's just funny. Anyway, Leah's sons, seven. So now she has seven sons. Oh, we're not to the seventh son yet. Have we got the seventh son? No, we just have Issachar. Well, by golly, if she doesn't conceive again and have her last son, and his name is Zebulun. Zebulun just means a good endowment. Look, my quiver, I am filling Jacob's quiver. There are seven sons, and then she also has one daughter. And the reason that the daughter is put in here is because in a couple of chapters, this daughter is going to play a very important role in the forming of the nation of Israel. And her name is Dinah, and some things happened to her that caused the guys to get a little, um, uh, what's the word? I was going to say full of testosterone, but they go out and they, they essentially slaughter an entire town because they acted inappropriately toward Dinah. And so Dinah is introduced here because she's going to play this important role. And because these guys went and slaughtered them, they were removed from what you would see as the table of nations. Well, then we get to verse 22, and let's read verses 22 to 24 here, because something takes a turn. 
verses 22 to 24. Then God remembered Rachel. Now remember, Rachel is now down seven to two, right? And none of them are actually hers. She's still barren. Okay, she's had no children yet. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and born, bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Now, I, I read this, and I know Jacob. Right, we're going to get into the later chapters of Genesis, and you're going to see Jacob was very wise. He was just, he's a smart guy. And, and the reason he's such a smart guy is because his name is really mathematical, add and subtract. Really, he's a math guy. You know, I was hoping somebody would laugh at that. Okay, I'm a math guy, and, and I read that and go, ooh, that's funny. Subtract, add. Yeah, that's why he's so smart. That you, so you, you removed my, my disgrace. In ancient times, not having children was just... I don't think we can even understand what kind of disgrace that is then. And she said, you know what, you've, you've removed that disgrace. And she named him Joseph because she said, I, I want you to add another son to me. Which eventually, in chapter 35, she will have another son and name him Benjamin, and she'll die giving birth to him. But she has this son. And, and the questions that I ask here is, is why? Why now? And, and really, these, these come up to be more questions than, than answers. Some like, you know... Um, when it says that God remembered, God has his finger on the beginning of time and his finger on the end of time. He doesn't forget anything. Right? He sees it all as a continuum. We forget because it was six days ago or six minutes ago for some of us. But he, God doesn't do that. Right? God doesn't forget. And so what does this phrase, God remembered, mean? We saw it a ways back in Genesis chapter 7 or 8 with Noah when he said God remembered Noah and sent a breeze and dried up the water? When we see the phrase God remembered, what it means is God took action somewhere. God remembered his promise. God, God acted on the promise that he had said at an earlier date. That's what God re- God didn't forget Rachel. God didn't forget, oh no, I left the water running on the earth and forgot Noah. That's not what happened. God, re- God doesn't have to remember. He knows all things in a continuum. Right? That, that's one of those worldviews that Christians have to remember, that never does God not know something. Never does God not know you. Never does God not know what you're going through or the pain that you're in or even the haughtiness that you might be feeling or the arrogance, whichever side of the scale that your attitude might be on. There's never a time when God doesn't know. And so in Rachel's case here, What's going on? What's happening in... We don't have anything that tells us. But what's starting to happen in Rachel's heart here? Why does it say now that God moved toward her and gave her a son? Has she, has she become broken? Has, has some of that, I'm going to figure out how to do all this and give her and do this and do that... Is, has she finally kind of got to the end of her mandrakes and just said, you know, 
it's only God who blesses this and I can't control it anymore? What is it? But there is something, when it says God remembers, God moved here for a reason. So why now? There are a couple of things in Scripture that we know about the heart of God. God is near the lowly. And it's one of these things we always have to remember. God is near the lowly. God takes up the case of someone who has no one to defend them. That's the heart of God. God is near the broken. You can see that all the way through. This is just a principle. This is, this is the heart of God. God is, God moves toward the humble. He exalts the humble. Those that don't put themselves in the center of everything, but let God be God and them not. And so when we see God remembering Leah, or remembering whatever her name is, Rachel, we, we kind of bounce all the way back to 29 when, when it says God heard Leah and saw that she was hated and opened her womb. Same thing. What was happening in Rachel's life here? So at this point, we now have 11 sons and one on the way. But we're going to include him here so that we can go through all the sons. Leah, we have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. That's the first batch. Bilhah, Dan, Naphtali. Zilpah, Gad, and Asher. Leah has Issachar and Zebulun. And then Rachel has her sons, and we have Joseph and Benjamin. There are the 12 sons of Israel. Right after Joseph is, right after Joseph is born, it is time for Jacob to leave. He's now been here 14 years. Why 14 years? The first seven, he's serving for the wife he didn't want. The second seven, he's serving for the wife he wants. At this point, 14 years into it, he goes to Laban and he says, I'm leaving. I'm done. It's time for me to go. It says in verse 25, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my home in my country, my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for you know the service that I have given you. Now here we have to just get some context. Jacob was a slave. And we don't think of that when we think Jacob is the patriarch of the, the nation. Jacob at this point is a servant. He's in servitude. His children and his wives are not his. Okay? Even though they may sit over there in the camp in the tents with him, they belong to his master who is Laban. And so when he goes to Laban and says, give me these, I've earned them. I, I worked, my wages are really these children and these, please give them to me. Oh, please? No, no, not please. Give them to me. And we're going to see at the very beginning of the next section where it's, it's really time for him to go. God says, it's time for you to go. He just packs up, waits for nighttime, and pew, he's gone. And when Laban finds him, he says, why have you taken my daughter's and my sons, and he doesn't mean grandsons, they're his. They're, they're his. He, 
he was in servitude. That's how the system worked. Okay? And so when he goes to him and says these things, there's more to it than just, I'm taking my family back home. He's, he's ripping this whole family piece apart. 14 years. But what's this right here? Why is he leaving now? We see Jacob, and we're going to have to wrap up here. We see Jacob at the very beginning at Bethel a couple weeks ago where God called him. He called him. He said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, father Isaac. And he says, wow. He gets up and he says, wow, God must be here. And he, he sets up the stone and he anoints it with oil and he worships God the best he knows how. He goes to this land and over the last 14 years, God has begun working or sanctifying Jacob. But there's always this last piece. Every time we see God, God working this, this microcosm of redemption, there's always that last piece of you're sojourning here and you need to be sent to that place called the promised land, wherever that is. And so Jacob needs to return back to Canaan. But God's not done with him yet. And so Laban says, wait, 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 wait. I have learned from divination, and we're going to have to go into this next week, that the Lord has blessed me. And so just name your wages. And Jacob says, okay, here are my wages. I don't want anything from you. I'm just going to take all the, the spotted sheep and all the different things, and I'll move them over, and that'll be my payment. So anytime you come and walk by, if you see any normal colored sheep or no, normal colored goat, you'll know that I'm cheating you. What is God doing here? God's building and building and building Jacob. What happened in in Egypt? We're going to get to this eventually. No, we won't. That's in Exodus. Right when the Israelites leave Egypt, God says what? He gave the Egyptians this extra favor for the Israelites. And so the Israelites came to the Egyptians and said, could I have some gold? Literally, and they just went into their cupboards and grabbed the, the coin can and dumped all the gold in there. And essentially, they plundered Egypt as they left. Okay? Why? He's establishing them as a nation. So what do we have? We have calling. We have building. And we have delivering. In Romans 8, here's how we say it for us. We have calling. We have justifying That's when we're forgiven for our sins, when we put our trust in Christ. We have sanctification. That's God building us into the image of Christ. And we have the big one that we're waiting for, glorification. That's God bringing us to the promised land, heaven. (laughs) That's salvation. That's God's redemptive plan. And we see this in these little, these nuggets all the way through Genesis, where God's working on this family. He calls them, he sanctifies them, he glorifies them. He moves them through to where he's going to have them. And this happens over and over and over. And we see it again right here. Right here. So God was not done with him yet because he hadn't yet completed this, this sanctification, this building up. Because he's going to bless him. He's going to be essentially going to take all of Laban's stuff and transfer it into Jacob's possession. That's what's going to happen next week. And Jacob is going to go away a very, verse 30, verse 43, he's going to have lots of 
donkeys, sheep, goats, and the big ones. He has camels and only really rich people have camels. And so we see that God is building this nation. It's his plan. And so just to kind of prep things for next week, when Jacob tells Laban his plan, Jacob has to kind of turn around for a second and go, okay, that's a great idea. You're an idiot. I mean, that's a great idea. Because this is the most foolish thing Laban has ever heard in his whole life. And so he's all for it. He's all for it. It's just, it's so foolish. And so Jacob goes his way. Laban goes his way, just giggling and laughing and just thinking, wow, I'm about to be a really rich man. And then God's plan takes effect. And this just should, your mind should kick into this going, you know what? That's another half of redemption, isn't it? When you really think about how foolish, maybe I should be careful how I say this. Using natural, your natural mind, think how foolish God's plan to reconcile man back to himself really is. Almighty God, the creator of the entire universe, the God of wonders, as we sang earlier. It says, how can a rebel be made clean? This is crazy. The God of the universe becomes, somehow pours him into his entire self into a man. And you've put your trust in this man dying on a cross, kind of getting crossed up with the, the Romans and the Jewish leaders and it's an illegitimate, itinerant preacher. And for some reason, you think that Jesus' death and you trusting in that for the forgiveness of your sin is one day going to usher you into that promised land, heaven, to be with God forever? <laughs> All of the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians say that's foolish to the unregenerate mind, to that that's spiritually discerned. For those who don't have the Holy Spirit in them, they're going to look at that and go, you're a kook, just like is happening here with Laban. When God starts a work, there's, what does it mean to be foolish when you're in the hands of an almighty God? Okay, I have to stop there because I'm going to get all excited and keep going. Let's pray. God, I'm in awe when I just think about it's not even balance, that imbalance between how powerful you are and how sometimes foolish it seems when you act for those that don't see the world through your eyes. And God, I'm so thankful that you've told us that your word does not return empty. Whatever your word puts out to do, it does. And since your word says to us that you have done this to redeem us and reconcile us back to you, those of us who are broken, those of us that know that there is no way back to you except through Jesus Christ. And God, that your word is not going to fail, that you're going to complete that and bring us to glory. God, as we sang about your hope filling the universe this morning, God, I would pray that for everybody here. As your word tells us to set our hope fully on, on Jesus Christ being revealed. Uh, that we would do that. And those here, Lord, that don't know you, Father, I would just pray that you would impress upon them 
the power of this redemption. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.